0: Got a drink in the house well, not before breakfast dear. i didn't ask you for any lip i asked you if you had a drink i know tom but yeah oh, I-, I wish the- there you go that wishing stuff again i wish you wasn't wishing well but i could tie a bucket to you and sink it Gentlemen, <laughs> that was the famous grapefruit scene from the Public Enemy from 1931, we're going to get more into that in just a second, but welcome to Talk is for Chinooks with Jake Harden. We're going to try and revamp this channel up a little bit, get it going, get it cracking, I just put a dip in, got my spit cup here, we're going to have a good time together tonight. Um. But anyway, uh, I wanted to jump off on a point I made the other day on my update about um, just dismissing um, information you disagree with as a conspiracy theory. Uh, I think I... I needed to address some more issues with that. Um, So, yeah, the bottom line, the point I was trying to make was uh, that if you disagree with something, you can't just say that it's wrong. Like, where else in life can you, if someone uh, says that uh, they think that a sports team is better than another one, you just say, well, you're wrong, without providing any evidence. Um, So if somebody, of course, if you think voter irregularities happened in this election with Joe Biden and Donald Trump, then you have to provide evidence. On the other hand, if somebody presents that evidence, you can't just dismiss it. You have to provide additional evidence that invalidates that point. And I don't see that coming from any uh, big tech or any media that's going on right now. They just lo- label things as misinformation without giving a good explanation as to why. But, um, so I think that really gets at the heart of, uh, what's, what's fundamental there is um, we need to, as a society, we need to recognize, um, how to dialogue with each other, and how to disagree. Disagreeing with somebody is an art, actually. If you think about it, when we communicate with one another, we're creating thoughts, we're creating images and ideas in someone else's head through the process of our words. I think it was C.S. Lewis that might have said that, um, that the closest a human being can get to creation without using material objects is uh, communication and talking and, um, and, an exchange, and engaging in an exchange of ideas because you're creating an immaterial reality in someone else's mind. So whenever we disagree with somebody, um, and we're using a sort of Aristotelian logic um, based on uh, syllogis, uh, syllogisms, um, and we're using uh, highly probabilistic premises that lead to sound and rational conclusions, um, we have to recognize that uh, that in order to invalidate those premises or in a, um, invalidate an argument, you have to provide countervailing evidence that undermines that argument and proves that it's wrong so if we don't know what aristotelian uh, logic is it's um it's providing uh evidence that is highly probable um, in the form of premises and then those um, connect to each other and lead to uh, sound conclusions that are also highly probable to be true so for instance if i said that uh jake is a human being All human beings die. Jake will die one day. That is a sound and rational argument based on the highly probable evidence. Um, It's highly probable that I'm a human being. You don't have to go and test my DNA to figure that out. You can probably just tell from looking at me. And it's also highly probable that all human beings have died. You don't have to travel around the country, travel around the world, and uh, verify that every human being has died. Those are highly, highly probable premises that lead to the sound conclusion that, yes, I will die one day. some of you might be glad. (laughs) But uh, anyway, um, I don't see that coming from the other side here when we're talking about uh, voter fraud and voter irregularities. It's just saying, um, like, for instance, there was a 6,000 vote uh, glitch in Michigan with the Dominion voter systems the other day. And uh, there were, I think, 3,062 documented instances of voter irregularities in Nevada and uh, documented instances of dead people voting in Michigan. Those are premises that lead to the conclusion that, hey, voter irregularities happen in this election. And uh, you can get into the argument whether it's what constitutes widespread if you want to. Um, But I think that if if it happens in a pattern like that in various uh, battleground states instead of just one, I think that's worth looking into. So you can't just say, well, that's just a conspiracy theory. You have to say, okay, uh, I have evidence that suggests that Uh, dead people didn't vote in Michigan, or I have evidence to suggest that a 6,000 vote glitch in Michigan didn't happen. You have to provide countervailing evidence, and that's the main point here. Um, So I don't really see that coming, and if you want to provide evidence, I'm more than happy to look at it. Of course, you have to present uh, evidence that um, a claim such as voter fraud or voter irregularities happened, but you can't just say it is unfounded. I've turned on CNN, and uh, they just say that Donald Trump says that uh, makes unfounded claims that voter fraud happened, like, without explaining, really, how it's unfounded. They just say it's a conspiracy theory. Um, and I think Neil Cavuto uh, cut off Kaylee McEnany, the press secretary for Donald Trump, the other day, when she was saying that uh, voter fraud or voter irregularities or voter mishaps could have occurred. And he said, well, that's a, that's a big claim she's making there, and I can't, in good countenance, allow this to air." first of all that's not really your job your job is to um relay information to the public and allow them to make up their own minds about it but then you didn't give her the space to um present her evidence you fact check fact checked her on that without allowing her to present facts to check and that's what's uh really rich and ironic there um and this kind of comes to uh, my next point I wanted to talk about, which is censorship. Um, a lot of big tech companies think that they it's on them to uh, uh, say what the public is allowed to believe. Of course, they're not going to come out and say that, but the stuff they censor is only coming from one side. Um, in order to have an open dialogue and a discussion with people, we have to allow all sides to present their evidence and then let uh, everybody make up their own mind about it. If you're censoring things from one side, it doesn't, you're not going to convince people that way. It just makes them more suspicious. Like, if if Donald Trump comes out with six tweets after the election, and then all you say is like, this is misinformation. This claim is disputed on Twitter with fact checks. That's not going to say, that's not going to make Trump supporters like, oh, well, I trust Twitter now. Um, Donald Trump must be wrong. No, it's going to make them more suspicious and more angry all that's going to do is serve as a confirmation bias for people that don't already like Trump. You're not going to change any minds that way. And if you do, it's a dishonest way of doing it. Um, so I, I just think it's pretty ridiculous and it's absolutely frustrating that anytime you get on Twitter, they're censoring the president of the United States. That's not their job. That is not their job, okay? Um, and I think that we need to have open communications and open li- lines of dialogue in our country. And... Um, if we're trying to if we're honestly trying to discover an accurate depiction of reality, then everyone should be able to present their side and then allow the public to make a conclusion from it. You don't get to just say in sort of an objective manner that one side is absolutely false that's based on a certitude that you do not have um so I think that um also kind of plays into the film we're going to be talking about today, which is The Public Enemy, one of my favorite films with James Cagney. It's an early gangster movie. Um, we watched this in my film class one time when I was in high school, and I just was just enthralled with it. It was very, very fascinating. Um, and at the start of this film, I'm going to read you the disclaimer in a second. They have this disclaimer, it's like, we do not condone the actions in this movie, and, uh, in a lot of areas in American life, these, uh, action should not be tolerated like if you have to say I'm ad living there but if you have to say that like if you think that somebody's gonna watch a gangster movie and think wow I'm gonna go kill a bunch of people now like if somebody like that uh, derives that conclusion from the film a disclaimer isn't going to dissuade them from doing that they're already a lost they co- they're already a lost cause at that point um, in terms of uh, trying to convince them not to do something like if somebody comes away with that conclusion then you have to allow other people to say, like, hey, no, that's not what this movie is talking about. And that's that's not an okay thing to do. Like, a disclaimer isn't going to do anything. And all it does is just water down the film with censorship and unnecessary uh, moral posturing. So, um, I'm going to pull up that here, and I'm going to read it to you. Uh, let's see here. Opening up my phone. Um so at the start of this film it says forward it is the ambition of the authors of the public enemy to honestly depict an environment that exists today in a certain strata of american life rather than glorify the hoodlum or the criminal while the story of the public enemy is essentially a true story all names and characters appearing herein are purely fictional warner brothers pictures incorporated so i think that's a that's like it's good intentions of course but they're really just covering their ass there they're not all they're doing is virtue signaling there and this is something that's been going on for a long time it's not something that's new um and that just waters down art and entertainment like i talked about before they kind of just like they're just covering themselves there they're not actually doing anything with that statement okay like uh that statement is completely unnecessary and i think We are uh, venturing towards that today already, again, in our society with trigger warnings and things like, there is offensive material that may offend some viewers in this film. Like, no, people can come up to their own conclusions. You don't need to protect them like that, okay? And if we're concerned that maybe children might be misled by information, which is a valid concern, it's up to parents to uh, turn them away from certain... um, material that might uh, not be so good or appropriate for them like for instance on my youtube channel like they always ask me is this video suitable for kids and should this video be recommended for kids and I a lot of times I put no because sometimes it's a subject matter that maybe kids might not understand or may not be appropriate for them or that they probably won't be interested in politics anyway so I just go ahead and put no and uh move on But I think pretty sure that if you're a parent that's worried about that, you can customize uh, a child's channel on YouTube Kids or something like that so they don't get recommended information that you don't want them to see. So there's ways of doing that without censoring people and um, saying that there is this uh, abstract, uh, abstract reality that is the correct way of thinking. Like, you're engaging in wrong thought and we're going to, uh, push you away from that, and re-educate you to a more, uh, truthful, uh, viewpoint of the world, like, no, no, just because you're in power doesn't mean you get to, um, decide what people believe, that's up to them, not you, so, um, those are my thoughts on that, and, um, I'm stepping off my soapbox here for a second, um, but anyway, let's get into the public enemy here, um, it was a pre-code film, like, uh, for those of you that don't know, I think in the mid-30s, the, the code was issued out by the, uh, I think the, um, Ocean Picture Association or something like that, and, uh, it said what they could and couldn't do in, like, gangster movies and, and stuff like that, but even before then, they were still putting, like, disclaimers to cover themselves in a film like that, and, um, it's like, like I said before, it's, uh, the um, people that watch that movie it's not going to do any good if somebody's going to come away from that and say like wow that inspired me to kill people no like it's not it's not going to dissuade somebody that's going to do that anyway and for those that don't it doesn't serve a purpose it's a tautological idea and um, just a bad situation that uh, unnecessarily waters down the content But um, I'm going to play you some clips from The Public Enemy, and we'll talk about them for a little bit. I'm going to pull up a little synopsis here on Wikipedia. We'll go through that for a second. So on Wikipedia, it says, uh, The Public Enemy, or Enemies of the Public in the UK, is a 1931 American all-talking pre-code gangster film produced and distributed by Warner Brothers. The film was directed by William A. Wellman and stars James Cagney, Gene Harlow, and Edward Woods. The film relates the story of a young man's rise in the criminal underworld in Prohibition-era urban America. The supporting players include Beryl Mercer, Mary Kendall, and Mae Clark. Um, There's actually some pretty interesting things about this film. Um, So, it's based in Prohibition, and that's another thing, really. I didn't think about this before, but... Think about Prohibition. Did that stop people from drinking? No. It allowed uh, criminals to enrich themselves on something that people were going to do anyway. Um and uh based on a thing that wasn't necessarily causing physical harm to people because they wanted to engage in it themselves in drinking um so uh yeah with prohibition just like censoring speech you're not going to stop people from thinking you're just going they're just going to find other avenues avenues to uh engage in those thought processes um so in this movie we have two two guys named tom powers and uh Matt Doyle and their childhood friends and um they follow this guy named Putty Nose and he's like their leader when they were kids and he helped them like um kind of get started in the criminal underworld and later on he like betrays them and then they find him later on in the film and kill him uh it's uh it's pretty funny the scene that they um they find him again because he he tries to ingratiate themselves himself with them and starts playing a song on the piano from when they were little and then uh james cagney or the um tom powers in the movie he like shoots him in the back because he's just disgusted with him um like right here on wikipedia it says uh um putty nose persuades them to join his gang on a fur warehouse robbery assuring them he will take care of them if anything goes wrong when tom is startled by a stuffed bear he shoots it alerting the police who kill gang member Larry Dalton. Chased by a cop, Tom and Matt gun him down. However, when they go to Putty Nose for help, they find he has left town. So that's the part where he, like, stabs him in the back, and then, ironically, Tom shoots him in the back later on. Um, I think that, uh, um, Mae Clark and, uh, Gene Harlow kind of got their starts in this movie, and the clip I played for you at the beginning of this was then when, um, they're sitting at breakfast and, uh, uh, Tom or James Cagney is sitting there with, um, I think, uh, Mae Clark and then, uh, yeah, with Mae Clark and then he, uh, pushes a grapefruit in her face and that caused a lot of people to get angry, it's pretty funny. You should go and watch it. Uh, just a second. I'm going to. Go ahead and play you some of that piano scene it's pretty funny i think you should at least you can hear it on here you can look it up later um so what's happening here is they find him and he's walking out of a it looks like a bar or something and i'll play the part where they uh, get into the piano um to the room with the piano so just some context They uh, confront him, and he recognizes them, and then tries to uh, plead for his life. I thought so. Oh, you dirty (laughs) double-crossing! Tommy, what are you talking about? You got plenty more coming. Tommy, Matt, what you gonna do? I don't want to die oh so you don't want to die ah, oh, tommy don't you remember you and matt how how you used to be just kids and, and we were friends you won't let it Matt. i'll do anything for you from now on ain't you got a heart maddy boy don't you remember how i used to play to you and and didn't I always stick up for you? I ain't got this coming. <laughs> I uh, just kicked him. <laughs> Matt, Matt, don't let him, don't. I ain't a bad fellow, really. Oh, Tommy, Tommy, don't. Ain't you got a heart? Mommy, oh, you won't and let you him. Ain't you got make a win. heart after he betrayed him? You remember, you remember that song I used to, I used to sing? That song I taught you? You remember, Tommy? Uh, back in the club? How you kids used to laugh at that song? Mm. Tell me how long so then he just starts playing on the piano and James Cagney's character uh shoots him and that is the end of Putty Nose but then the, for the rest of the movie uh I think uh James Cagney's character's uh friend Matt he gets uh shot and then um I uh James Cagney's character Tom he goes and like starts a gang war and he goes in and uh shoots up Uh, a place where all the other gangsters are and then um, they chase him down eventually and they put him in the hospital and then uh, Tom's brother Mike who just returned from the war he goes in and talks to Tom and Tom says that he wants to reform his life and uh, try and be a more straight up person and uh, try and uh, be a better person and then uh, the other gangsters that he started a war with they go in and kidnap him from the hospital and spoiler alert here they kill him and then they ride, uh, give his dead body to uh, his family at their house it's kind of a horrific scene for back then in the 30s you should go and look it up um, but another part about censorship here is like pretty sure they um, made him want to turn his life around so that they could show the audience that being a gangster was bad and uh i don't know that kind of serves as like a kind of waters it down a little bit like um like in a movie you kind of want the gangster to be like hell no i'm not gonna reform and then go down in a in a, a blaze of gunfire but uh it's not really what happens in this film of course in real life um bad people should reform and they shouldn't kill people but in the movie you kind of would have been better if he would have like Hell no, I'm sticking to my guns all the way down, baby. Um, but anyway, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, sorry, that's um, that's the synopsis of that film. I think it's a r- really cool film. Um, don't you love the way they talked back then? It's like, hey, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't need you to give me more of that. I'll, I'll g- give you a well and I'll sink you down with it put uh, I nose on your know and uh, stab you in the back. Is <laughs> had like a fast way of talking back then and uh, that's something that I find pretty funny. Um, so I think this film could have been even better without the disclaimer, without the censorship and uh, with James Cagney's character going unrepentant into that good night. But uh, anyway... I uh, I think that, uh, wrapping things up here, I think that uh, censorship never, ever makes things better. It only makes things worse. And I don't think it solves any of our problems. I think that free speech is um, an inherent and uh, nearly sacred right that our Constitution enshrines and that big tech companies and media have no place in telling us what to believe and have no place in telling us what we can and cannot say or think um, so that's about all the time I have for you tonight, and, um, we're going to get to more things next time, I think I might, or we might look at, uh, Angels with Dirty Faces next time, I'm going to, uh, I appreciate your feedback, I'm going to try and, uh, make this program better and better each time, I'm going to dedicate myself to this and work hard, and, um, try and make this more entertaining for you, because I'm doing this for you, it's fun for me, but, um, I hope you're listening, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this program. Thank you so much.